I like a lot better. Okay. <clears throat> Turn, if you would, to the 118th division of the Psalms. <clears throat> and I will try not to be, be too long today. But before we start, let's have, have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to come and to be able to uh, gaze upon Your Word. And we pray, <coughs> Father, that our hearts would be humbled, ready to receive what You have for us, and that we would receive with joy what You have for us. And that, Lord, this preaching of Your Word would be a means that we might be restored and renewed and revived. And we thank You for the presence of the saints here today, and we pray that we would not leave today without our hearts being stirred up by way of reminder, and that the things that we hear, that we would do, and that we would take these out into the world around us and that in such a way that people would know that we've been with Christ. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> when I volunteered to come for today, I had something else that I thought for sure that, that God wanted me to talk about. And about the middle of the week, I had, I won't say it's an epiphany, but something that was unmistakable in its direction, I'm sure. We've all had our moments when you thought you, <clears throat> you knew what we were going to do, and you didn't, but uh, I won't go into all the detail about it, but uh, God showed me some things that uh, that I needed to think about. On my day off last week at work, uh, I was in the middle of doing housework and cleaning the house and things like that. I started to watch a little John MacArthur, and most of you know who John MacArthur is. And there's a series that he, he did upon uh, apostate, preachers in the churches nowadays and uh, as is wont to do sometimes in my case I'll get a little hyper focused on it and one thing led to another and by the end of that day and by the time I went to pick Medina up my <clears throat> you might say what my dad used to call my religious dander got stirred up and that's not going to be the the focus of that I'm not going to name names or do anything like that you can do that for yourself but One thing that I was greatly aware of that I wasn't as much, and I told somebody this to work at work the other day, that the greatest danger to the church does not lie without the church. It's actually within the church. And in the form, I think, of what Scripture calls wolves in sheep's clothing. <clears throat> and it behooves us to be diligent and contend earnestly for the faith which is once delivered to all the saints. You know, like I said, I'm not going to get into details about things, but it was astounding what goes on in the name of Orthodox Christianity today. I saw and heard things that sent chills up my spine and the next time sent my blood pressure up. <clears throat> and the worst part of it is is 
most of these are like mega type churches and when you have 45,000 members a week coming to church in one church and 30,000 in another and everybody's all happy and smiling or supposedly it just like totally blows your mind that how people with the revelation that we have of God's word can sit and absorb it. For those of us that thank God providentially are raised in our good Christian teaching both in our childhoods uh, and as adults, it really does. I can see why uh, a great many what I would consider orthodox preachers today really are, are calling the alarm for it. But be that as it may, the 118th Psalm is uh, associated with the celebration of Passover in the 113th through the 118th. What do they call that? The Hallel or whatever it was. I don't remember the name of it. Um, and this was the last psalm associated with that. And some people have suggested that uh, this may have been the psalm or the song sung by Christ with his disciples at the last Passover. And I think Mike could make a good case for it. Uh, that there in, Matthew, in Mark 14, 26. I'm not going to turn that and read, read that. But uh, in verses 22 and 23 of this 118th Psalm, Christ, you quoted that in Mark and in Matthew about himself. Uh, and if you read further on about Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, uh, the crowds were shouting, you know, the shouts of joy, some of the things they were saying that were taken from the 118th Psalm. Um, so Martin Luther said, this is my, my, my psalm, my chosen psalm, my favorite psalm. He said, it has saved me <clears throat> from many a pressing danger. It is my friend, dear to me than all the honors and powers of the earth. And certainly if you know anything about Martin Luther and some of the things that he had to go through, uh, I could say I, I, I think I could join with him to find refuge in, in something like that. And this is, was for me, after I thought about this, it brought a lot of comfort because I, I normally don't get too worked up like that, but, but God, I, I guess, got me worked up about it. But as a follow-up, maybe to Edward's message this morning, this whole psalm is really a psalm about God's mercy. And I think it's a psalm of a mercy triumphant. Um, and it's a psalm of not re, you know, resignation and defeat, but it's a psalm of trust in the faithfulness of God and commitment to His people and triumph over His enemies. And I think, you know, I don't know whether in the last days or not, but in some sense, every generation probably feels like they've been in the last days. And in every generation, there's been apostasy and reprobate, reprobates in the pulpit, and they're all over the place. Uh, but this, we don't know exactly the author. This, uh, many people think it's David. Uh, but ultimately, with the references that we have in the New Testament, ultimately it points to Christ himself. Uh, and I want us to, to focus on that. And in verse 1 it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His mercy endures forever. 
Let those who fear the Lord now say his mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like beans. Bean, that beans. Bees. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. But they were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of righteousness. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray and send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And may God bless the reading of his word. So, like I said, we'll try not to be too, too verbose here, but... Again, as, as Edward likes to say, sometimes nothing new, but sometimes we need, like Peter says, to be stirred up by a sincere way of remembrance. And the, really the root of all of this is found in the first and last verses here. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. And you say, we as, as Christians, we know that God is good. It, it, it comes as no surprise for us. Um... Spurgeon said that goodness is, is the Lord's essence, and it's His nature. And therefore, He is always to be praised, whether we are receiving anything from Him or not. A lot of people base God's goodness on how well their life is going right now. You know, And some atheists use the, <clears throat> the excuse, well, I, I can't believe in a God that would allow such and such. Uh, you know, but... Your view of you know how you view your life when things are not going as good uh, is a good barometer of how close your relationship is to God. Because uh, you know, Mark in Mark ten chapter verse eighteen, the Lord told those the rich young ruler or one of the he said, "There is none good but one, even God." And ultimately, that's true. You know, when we compare ourselves to God, we're not good. And 
in the Psalms, you can a couple of places there in chapter, I think it's 14, where he says, there is, there is none good. There is none to search after God. And that would not be a popular message today. Uh, it's like I heard one preacher give an interview and said, well, 99.9% of the people in the world are good people, good hearts and minds. They just make bad choices. Okay. Uh, obviously, he's not living in my neck of the woods. <laughs> but we need to take solace in the fact that God alone is good. Not only that, but God is always good. Amen. No matter what's going on in your life. You know? God is always good in prosperity or in poverty. In health or in sickness. In peace or in chaos. In grief <clears throat> or in joy. In life or in death. God <clears throat> is good. And the psalmist recognized that. God's always good. And when He ceases to be good, He ceases to be God. And if someone's view of God is just based on how well they're doing or how good they feel, you've got a shallow God. And unfortunately, that's more the norm today than a lot of people would care to admit to. And I could say a lot more about that. But you read through the Psalms... (laughs) Psalms are like uh, a litany of emotional ups and downs, you know. How many times do you read about, God, why are you hiding your face from me? Where have you gone? You won't won't hear my prayer. You know, what's going on? Why are you silent? Read through Job. Job complained for a long time, and then he reached the last part of that book, and he said, "Mm, things are a lot better than what I thought. Uh, You know, and trust me, I've never come close to anything like that. But, but God is good and He's always good. Whether we feel it or not, we base so much, so much religion nowadays based on how we feel. Are you feeling good today? Well, how many times people I said, no, not really. You know, we always say, yeah, how you doing? I'm doing all right. And you're sitting there thinking, no, not really. <laughs> so how does this psalmist know that God is good? Well, he answers it in the last part of that verse 1. For his mercy endures forever. The word mercy, and I don't know how you pronounce that in Hebrew. Is it hesed or close enough? Huh? Hesed. Hesed. Okay. Maybe I do need to try some uh, Red Bull. Oh, actually, you don't drink Red Bull. (laughs) And I'm reading this. I I promised I'd never do this, but be careful what you say. I had to take a picture of the page I was book I was studying from and so I had to break one of my rules which there's nothing wrong with it if you want to do that has, has said can, constitutes one of the most significant theological terms in the Hebrew scriptures the right understanding of the term is bound up with its relationship to the divine covenant with Israel when applied to Yahweh has said is fundamentally the expression of his loyalty and devotion to the solemn promises attached to the covenant it is most commonly applied to right page over. It is most commonly applied to God, but it's also used to describe a human quality. I mean, we've known of people that were merciful. 
as well as expressing human commitment to the covenant. And this word occurs about 250 times, and some translations is referred to as steadfast love. Uh, I think in the Neb Bible, uh, loyal love or something of that nature. But with reference to Yahweh, Esed commonly refers to his steadfast love. This is the important point. Signifying an irrevocable commitment to his promise to fashion a people, <coughs> excuse me, to serve him whom he in turn promised to love and protect. A significant number of references explicitly linking Esed to the covenant warrants the claim that whenever such love is predicated of Yahweh, one could very well argue that the divine response is motivated by his solemn commitment to his people. And that's how we know that God is good. It's an irrevocable contract with his people. And that's the reason we believe in a sovereign God. All of his attributes are sovereign mercy, love, compassion, you name it. And one of these individuals I listened to this week, and if you want to know the name, I'll tell you later, said there is one thing that even the Son of God can't do. And he said that twice. And he said, he cannot override your willingness to unbelief and not believe in him. And if I'd have had any false teeth, I probably would have swallowed him at that point. To say such a thing. And nobody that says something like that has thoroughly thought of the far-reaching implications. Because if God waits for you to acquiesce to His will, it won't ever change. And if God's will could be changed or whatever, on that point, then what else would you have? Thank you. Spurgeon said again, as deeply guilty and graciously forgiven sinners, we should look upon mercy as the very heart and goodness of God. And when God, you know, when we quote those verses of Scripture, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, those are pretty powerful things there to think about because God doesn't have to put His mercy upon any of us. And God's love is the same way, but one of my favorite verses of Scripture is Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Now, that's pretty powerful business in and of itself. Because His compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Thank God they are. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. And that's kind of the the jumping off point for this 118th Psalm. And the other thing about God's mercy, it endures forever. I've already said that, I think. It's eternal as God is. It's steadfast. It's loyal. And it's irresistible. Spurgeon also said the endurance of divine mercy is a special subject for song. And then, notwithstanding our sins, our trials, our fears, His mercy endures forever. The best of earthly joys pass away. Even the world itself grows old and hastens to decay. But there is no change in the mercy of God. 
and we could stop there. I'll, <clears throat> I will mention just a few other things that will be dismissed. In the verses that follow, verse 1 here, let Israel now say his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say his mercy endures forever. And notice how this goes from a progression of Israel. And we could push this forward to the New Testament. We know that we are Israel. And we should say the God's mercy endures forever. And then it goes down to the house of Aaron, which is the house from which the priesthood arose. And if God's messengers, if God's pastors and shepherds can't say this, then you need to find another job. Then it says, let those who fear the Lord now say His mercy endures forever. So that covers the rest of us. Thank God. And if God's mercy is not forever, I mean, if it were to change, if God were mutable, we'd never know when we were going to be alive one minute and dead the next. You know. Then in verse 5, I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. I thought about that when you were preaching this morning. God's children are going to have distress. You live in Dallas and start driving, you're going to be in distress. <laughs> and I only have to drive 10 minutes to work, and it's bad enough there. But that's an expectation we should have as God's children. Nobody's ever promised you that you're not going to have any problems. Uh, but the, the other guarantee is, with a guarantee of distress, you're going to have a guarantee that when you call on the Lord in your distress, God's going to answer. And I don't know everything what it means to set you in a broad place. I don't know if that's metaphorical, maybe, but one of the translations I said answered you is in a broad place. But I don't know. But that's a sure guarantee. And how many times have we had ourselves with unnecessary worry and fussing and fretting over you know, things when would be a lot better off if we would learn, and I'm guilty as anybody, of worrying about something and just like, you know, it's like when I prayed to find my car, car keys in my garage door open the other day. And come to find out, I left it at work. Chick-fil-A. <clears throat> then it says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Only a belief in, the, in a God who's totally sovereign can you say this. He's, the thing about it, the Lord's on my side. And our side's going to win at the end of it all. I don't mean to say that flippantly. He said, because the Lord's on my side, I will not fear. How do you think David fought Goliath? He's telling them guys, look, man, this, this guy's not anything. We've got God. And what can man do to me? <clears throat> you know, the church, we talk about you know, people going to Cambodia and the other areas over there where Christians and churches are under a lot of persecution. You know, they can kill the body, can't kill the soul. But we serve a God that's way bigger than everybody else. And then what I like, the Lord is for me among those who help me. And then he says, therefore I shall see my desire on those who hate me. So I don't know what your desires are on those who hate you or not, but (laughs) probably better not to say. You can keep that between you and the Lord. We may be saying it before we get out of here. I don't know. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to put trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. And, I, and I'll say this to my own chagrin. I, sometimes I get caught up in political 
stuff, and I'm trying to wean myself away from that. People, and you probably know people that eat, sleep, and breathe politics as if politicians or political parties are going to do anything for any kind of long term. It's pointless. And I'm like my dad said, I don't trust a politician any further than I can throw him. And that's not very far. Uh, and it, but it's still amazing. And Christians can get caught up in this. What are you worried about if so-and-so doesn't get elected? Do you think God's worried about that? Read the second. Read Psalm 2. Do you want to see God laugh? Hey, I wonder what that sounds like. About like I'd like to hear Jesus sing and hear God laugh. But our confidence is not in anything like that. And, and I know we know that, but sometimes we get so caught up. And maybe I'm just preaching to myself. Like, good night, nurse. You know, you hear Tucker Carlson got fired from Fox News. Okay. The world's not going to stop. The, sun, the, the sun's not going to drop out of the sky and the moon's not going to turn to blood. <laughs> and then in verses 10 through 14, this is really what got me excited the other day when I started reading this. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of... And I'm not going to read through all of them, but every time it says, uh, I will destroy them. Or I will destroy them. In the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Now, however you want to take that, David, if he did write this, was a bloody man. And he took care of business. One thing you can say about him, he didn't fool around with those jokers. Those Philistines were like a, like a boil on his neck. And they were always around. You know, he probably thought, man, after killing Goliath, it'd be over with. But no. But he set up garrisons all over the nation of Israel. When any business got stirred up, look, he destroyed them. But it's in the name of the Lord he did it. He recognized he didn't do that. And whatever spiritual battles we're engaged in, and remember every day, and I try to make myself think about this no matter where you work, life of the Christian, as Lewis Johnson said, the life of the Christian is the impossible one. We're living, we're supposed to live by faith and grace of God, and yet we're, we're still, still have to live in bodies of flesh. But spiritual warfare is, warfare is a very real thing. It, we can't see it. And it's a good thing we can't see it. I don't think I'd be able to handle that. But it's there. I felt it. And I've seen it in action. And we've seen it in action in other, in other ways. You know? And I'm not talking about little girl's head spinning around spewing green vomit. <clears throat> but it's very real. The prince of the power of the air. And you've experienced it probably in your own lives. You've probably experienced moments where you could feel very real presence of not good. Uh, so that's the one thing I pray for, for myself every day. Because, man, we're, you know, you just get up in the morning and strap your armor on and be done with it. But, and it says, you push me violently that I might fall, but the Lord help me. Okay, somebody's going to push you. But I didn't fall. The Lord helped me. And then the Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. And I'm not going to go through a whole lot of the rest of it here, but it does say that the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. He mentions the right hand of the Lord three times. So usually when Scripture mentions things three times, uh, he's, he's, not, he's not using Velcro to hold that tent peg in place. He's using a ball-peen hammer and a sharp stake three times. 
to emphasize, remember that the, it's the right hand of God. He does valiantly. He's exalted. He does valiantly. He said, I'm not going to die. I'm going to live. He said, the Lord chastened me severely, but He's not given me over to death. Chastening happens to us. Do we always know why? No. Uh, Job kind of asked some of those kind of questions. God kind of explained things to him there at the end. You know? But, he, but it's, this is a victory dance. I don't want to get too charismatic on us here. But he says, Open the gates of righteousness. I'll go through them. I'll praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. And they're the only ones that's going to enter. You know, there's no, there's no middle ground. It's like prophet from Hibbings, Minnesota said one time, you either got faith or unbelief and there ain't no middle ground. Amen. And he said, I'll praise you for you have answered me and become my salvation. That sends chills up my spine, literally. And probably one of my favorite parts, the stone which the builders rejected became, has become the chief cornerstone. Part of this psalm was used in the book of Ezra when the foundation of the temple was, was laid. And at the end of it, it says that the, like the crowd broke out in song, singing this. If you've ever watched an uh, English soccer match, I love watching it because every once in a while, periodically, the crowd will break out in song, and it's, it's just awesome. Whenever I watch it, I'm waiting for them to somebody start singing. And it'll go all the way around the stadium. Well, can you imagine what that was like when they laid the foundation for the new temple there and all these people start singing? I mean, man, alive. Uh, that would send chills up your spine. He's, it's become the chief cornerstone. And we refer to all the references about that. As Paul, Paul writes in Ephesians, there's a foundation here of the apostles and the prophets but Jesus Christ Himself is the chief cornerstone. And that's why all this stuff that's going on nowadays, within the church and without, you can beat your chest, you can stand up on top of the world, start to say World Trade Center, Empire State Building and beat and, and make like King Kong against this all you want to, and it's not going to do any good. And that's the reason that should give us hope. Not that we should become flip about it, not that we should become complacent, but it might make us prayerful for those that are around us that don't know Christ. And that's what we need to think about. You know, uh, this was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And I think we ought to wake up even before we get out of bed, even though we might not feel good. This is a, a day that God's made, and we need to rejoice in Him and find pleasure in Him. And then, then it says, Save now, Lord. Send prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Then he says, You are my God, and I will praise you, for you are my God, and I will exalt you. So, this is a, this is a psalm of, of victory and deliverance, and a guaranteed victory. You know, nothing's going to break it. And so, I, you know, they may come this week and I wake up or I come home with the mully grubs and I'll have to think about what I said. Because it's easy to get caught up in all the stuff that goes on. And we just need to remember, we have an unshakable kingdom. Amen. And we have an unshakable Savior. And I don't care how loud or how 
powerful people may appear to be within the church, and and I'll I will end it with that. It's very it's really pretty serious business what's going on in some people in, in the name of Jesus. It's awful. Some of it's nothing short of demonic. And I have no doubt that a lot of the perpetrators, the ringleaders of this business, at the worst, I mean, at the best heretic and at the worst reprobate, and I think it may be more of the latter than the former. And you say, well, how do you know that? You listen to some of the stuff that gets said. Spirit of God doesn't, doesn't tell people to say the things that they say. I don't care who you are. But unbelievably, there are people in churches swallowing that stuff and they're being ruined forever. Uh, Dr. Warren, I remember Paul Warren and I, before he passed away, we had lunch one time and he talked, this was 15 years ago probably, and he talked about a lot of these churches that you promise all this stuff if you'll give and do this. And he said they're driving people out the back door especially as they bring them to the front door and he said these people's lives are being ruined by things not coming according to the plan which they've been promised. This is the only guarantee we have right here. And if you want a word from the Lord, read this. And one guy I heard the other day said, if, if you want to hear the voice of God, read his book out loud. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> I thought that was pretty slick. <laughs> but thank you for your attention. And let's remember that God is good. Amen. Always good. Even if you get pulled over first beat, God's always good. <laughs> I haven't had that happen well, in a while. But let's be thankful and serve God with a glad heart and let us live in such a way that people will want to know what's going on with you. The best testament for a lot of people are going to be the lives that we lead. We can quote all the scripture you want to, but if they see that your life's not measuring up to it, it won't do a bit good. But we have a message of hope. We have a guarantee is what we have. And we, and we know that God... Uh, whenever we plant a seed, it doesn't go to waste. We thank you. Michael, would you dismiss us, please? Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for gathering us here safely. Thank you for um, the messages that we heard today. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that you're good and that you're always good. Lord, may we focus on that. May we be thankful for that, Lord, that you've shown us mercy, that you've saved us from our sins. Lord, I pray that you continue to sanctify us, help us to be more like you every day. We pray all the things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.